A couple of weeks ago, on uh, November the 6th, I preached a sermon looking to the middle main section of John's Gospel, chapter 11. And the sermon was, When Jesus Cried. We talked about John 11, and I said I would return to this on Christ the King Sunday, which is this Sunday. So we're going to be turning back to John chapter 11. You can follow along with the notes in the bulletin, and we'll have some notes and scripture, I think, up on the screen. But first, I want to start off with this question. What if the king's schedule does not bow to your schedule? What if the king's schedule does not bow and kowtow to my schedule, to your schedule, to your immediate expectations, to my immediate expectations. Have you ever asked God for something on a specific time frame with the exact answer you wanted? And, and you even ratcheted up that request by praying it in Jesus' name and maybe doubling down and repeating it a number of times and getting some other people to invoke Jesus' name and demand from God what you wanted, when you wanted it. And then lo and behold, God doesn't give you exactly what you thought you needed when you thought you needed it. Ever experienced that? What if God didn't give you? What if this coming Christmas season, he doesn't give you what you want? You know, we get to tell Santa Claus what we want. What if God doesn't give you what you want or when you wanted it? Is that wrong or bad? When the king doesn't bow and snap to, to the schedule I put on him. Is that unjust? Is it a problem? Should I question God or even reject God because he's not doing what I told him to do? What do you think? When Jesus delays, that's our sermon for today. Our sermon, as we consider these personal questions and spiritual questions I was just talking about, but also consider the big picture, big theology question that is before us on Christ the King Sunday. You know, Christ the King Sunday is the final Lord's Day in the Christian worship year. It's the Sunday in which we celebrate in advance the fact that Jesus is coming again. And we look ahead to when Jesus will come uh, to judge the living and the dead and to consummate his kingdom in fullness. We remember that on Christ the King Sunday. And then, by the way, we bridge into the beginning of the new worship year in Advent, and we're looking ahead in repentant preparation, not just to get ready for Christmas. I mean, that's nice, and to remember his first coming, but we're also repentantly looking ahead to and expecting that great eschatological event uh, when Christ returns. So big theological question, eschatological question, end times issue. What happens when Jesus delays? The world's kind of messed up, but I'd love for Jesus to come back uh, before I finish this sermon. It'd be awesome. But what, what about when Jesus delays? We're going to look at John 11. We're going to read through a whole lot of John chapter 11. So I invite you to, to have that chapter open. We'll work through some of it. 
But we're going to begin today with our key opening segment, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and really the head-scratcher verse that concludes that first six verses, which is John 11, verse 6. So when Jesus, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, in other words, deathly ill, he stayed, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. When Jesus delays, Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you. We trust in your grace and ask that you open your word to us. Indeed, Lord, that we would know you and see you and believe in and see by the gift of your spirit, your glory. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So you can see at the beginning I've got some notes for you. And let's go ahead and fill these in so we understand. I'm not hiding anything from us as we work our way through this scripture. I'll go ahead and tell you up front where we're going with this. Jesus' providence and his timing, Jesus' timing, may not bow to my, to our short-sighted prayers, fears, and demands. His providence, his provision, his overarching sovereignty, and his timing may not bow to my or to our short-sighted prayers, fears, and demands. Jesus calls everyone he loves to look beyond our ideas about, there it is again, timing, and to believe in him, to believe in him. Not the little thing that I want or the big thing I want to believe all the way into him. Because he himself, Jesus, is the resurrection and the life. I'm talking about kind of silly conversations about your best life now. Well, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is the life. His kingdom timing is always for God's glory, and for our ultimate, ultimate, Jesus sees things ultimately, our ultimate good. And you could also put in there salvation, our ultimate salvation. So a couple weeks ago on November 6th on All Saints Sunday when we looked at John chapter 11 before and I focused on when Jesus cried, we talked about Jesus is weeping, but the crying verb is actually when he cries out, calling Lazarus from the dead. We talked about, I mentioned the shortest verses, the two shortest verses in the Bible, which are really good to have in your pocket. Okay, these are good to have in your heart and soul, right? Uh, the shortest in English, which usually people will answer this uh, way, if you said, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? They'll say, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. But it's only the shortest in English. There's one that's actually a little bit shorter in the Greek. Pantokarate, um, uh, which is rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. And, and those actually go together pretty well with what we're called to look at today. So, in other words, weeping 
but ultimately rejoicing, right? So look at this. Uh, second half of Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping, catch that verb there? Weeping, just like in the short, second shortest verse in the Bible, weeping may tarry for the night, but guess what? Joy comes with the morning. Now, that is a prophetic, powerful message through David in Psalm 30 that points us ahead to Jesus, to his resurrection, to his return, and to where we are and where we will be when we actually believe in Jesus and live with Jesus, right? Um, weeping may tarry for the night, but what happened on Easter morning? Joy comes with the morning. What happens when we die? Well, weeping may last for the night, but what, what are we looking ahead to? Joy, right? So Jesus wept, rejoice always. Two shortest verses in the Bible that also point us through where we're going today. So uh, I've already read the opening verses. Let me just return to this in John 11, and then we'll pick up working our way through John 11. You're going to get to know John 11 between, if you missed the sermon from a couple weeks ago, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because I uh, dug in a little bit more on some words and what's being said in John 11 that I'll just summarily refer to today. So John chapter 11, uh, picking up at verse 4, so the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Uh, just a little side teaching note on this. Uh, this is important, actually, to, to pick up on this. Mary and Martha may not be exactly where they need ultimately to be in their faith, and we're going to see that. They don't, they don't see everything about who Jesus is, but they certainly know, they can teach us a lot about how to pray. Notice this. They don't say, Jesus, we love you a lot, so you need to come and fix Lazarus. Now, that's the way we, because we tend to be self-centered people, tend to think about it. Like, Jesus, you know how much I love you. You know my heart is so good. Therefore, based on my heart, you know, we need salvation. If salvation is based on my heart or my love, we're in big trouble. Okay, <laughs> this is not what... Okay. Now, and notice they don't say, look, Jesus, the, the New Testament Gospels tell us that a number of women financially, stewardship, by the way, stewardship season financially supported Jesus' kingdom ministry. And it's pretty obvious to me, just reading between the lines, that Mary and Martha, who provided Jesus' home base a lot of times when he came to Jerusalem, there in Bethany, which is within two miles of Jerusalem, just on the crest of the Mount of Olives, looking down through the Kidron Valley to the Temple Mount of Jerusalem. They're within two miles of Jerusalem. Jesus stayed with them all the time. They clearly supported Jesus in stewardship. They didn't say, based on what we have done for you, Jesus, you know how faithful we are. Therefore, hey, we've got a request, Lazarus. Nor do they say, look how good Lazarus has been. Or you know how much Lazarus loves you. Understand this is the total flip side of that. Not based on who we are or what we did. They say, Lord, he whom you love. That's the salvation issue. That Jesus loves you. That's the salvation issue. And that's the prayer issue. That Lord, he whom you love is ill. In other words, deathly ill. This is a bad situation. But when Jesus heard it, 
he said, this illness does not lead to death. Now, the apostles and everybody get really confused about this. Jesus understands, he clearly knows, Lazarus is about to die, mortally die. But Jesus is making a big statement that we're going to pick up on again, that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This illness, although Lazarus is going to die, does not lead to death. It leads through death to life. Okay, the end, it's, it's not a dead end. And then he goes on and says this, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And that verse, verse 5, gets played out broadly in what we're going to see in John chapter 11. Okay? So then, verse 6, this is the head scratcher I've already introduced to us. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now he's way over Jordan, he's probably in Bethania, he's probably about a three-day walking distance from Bethany and from Jerusalem. And he's going to stay there for two more days. And Lazarus is about to die when Jesus delays. Now, let's pick up the story. The disciples who were with Jesus, the apostles, for instance, his inner group, they're totally happy with this. Because the last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, you read about this in John chapter 10, Jesus almost got killed. The Jewish leaders, some of the Jews, wanted to stone Jesus to death. And only by a miracle of God does Jesus get out of that situation. So the disciples are totally cool with Jesus staying away from Jerusalem because he's going to die. He's probably going to die, and they're probably going to die with him. They're all going to get arrested, they're thinking, if he goes back anywhere near Jerusalem. Um, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, again, he's not in Judea, okay? Let us go to Judea again. He's all, all the way over Transjordan. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews, in other words, the, the kind of the, some of the powerful Jews, were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? Anyone, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And Jesus already declared, I am the light of the world. So what he's talking about is whether you're going to live or die mortally, whether the Jews kill us or kill you or not, the issue is ultimately, eternally, are you in the light or not? After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go awaken him. The disciples who scared to death, now you understand, they're scared to death. <laughs> they said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Forget it. Let's stay over here. We're safe over here. Um, now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they, they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Lazarus has died. Um, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there 
so that you may believe. That is the issue. Big issue in all the Gospels is Jesus seeking to lead his disciples, and through this testimony about his disciples, seeking to lead you into real saving faith. Okay? <laughs> that, that's the ultimate issue. So Jesus is delighted uh, that we have this before us because the issue is for Lazarus, for Mary and Martha, for his apostles, for his other disciples, and for you and me, that we would believe. That is the life-death issue. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. He's like, I guess we got to all go die around Jerusalem in Judea. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Let me explain this to you now. In early first century, in a, in a whole lot of documentation, a number of the Jews in those days believed that the soul of the dead person lingered around for two to three days. There were also quite a number of instances, you know, they didn't necessarily sometimes have the medical expertise we did. Somebody would supposedly be dead and a few hours later he would wake up. And you know, the Jews wanted to bury um, typically within a day before sundown, so there'd be all these cases where somebody's supposedly dead and in the afternoon he's back alive again. Jesus is leaving no doubt Lazarus's body is decomposing now, and there's no wives' tale about the soul lingering around kind of above the body for two to three days. Now, we're in the fourth day. Jesus, of course, could have ordered up a war horse and, and covered the three-day walking journey in a matter of hours and been with Lazarus early. But on top of that, Jesus didn't even need to come to heal Lazarus, did he? Remember that centurion's servant? Jesus just says the world word miles away jesus could say the word across an ocean be healed and somebody's healed but so he's been dead four days his body's decomposing he's already in the tomb um, fully buried now bethany was near jerusalem about two miles off and many of the jews had come to martha and mary because martha and mary and lazarus they're from a important family in Bethany. I mean, these are high-level people to console them concerning their brother. So it's not just the professional mourner. The Jews, the way the Jews treated death is you're supposed to cry a lot. Now, in our kind of Western European traditions, you're not supposed to cry at a funeral. You're supposed to be, you know, strong and say, he's in a better place and all this kind of stuff. But, but they cry. And they actually brought in bands and professional mourners so that if people stopped crying, they'd start crying again. Because he, hearing the professional more, so you're supposed to cry. Okay, um, so so they're out there consoling Mary and Martha. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." Which is certainly Jesus could have healed him. Like I said, Jesus could have healed him from long distance, wherever he wanted to. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, it's going to become clear, though, she has no speculation that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. She's just saying, maybe, maybe you can make this better. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, 
I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's a good Orthodox Jew, she's a believer, she's not, and she's not one of these Sadducees. She believes in the resurrection on the last day. So she's making a good faith statement there, a good theological statement there. Yep, I know. Jesus said to her, one of the most important verses in all the Bible. This is the fifth of the seven I am statements. Jesus said to her, I am, and when he says ego and me, it's in the Greek, he's saying I'm God. Okay, that's, that's the way God talks. I am who I am. But then further he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Now he's saying two different things. Just like in the sixth of the seven I am sayings, he says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. All those words are important. Okay? Here he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, I am the one, it's in me that people are raised from the dead. And on top of that, just like John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have zoena, onion, the, the, the life of the age to come. In other words, when you're in Jesus, you're already in the next age. You are in eternity. You're in eternal life. So he's saying two things. I give the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And I am eternal life. You want life? I am the life. So he's saying two things there. Now, look, then what happens is this. He says, whoever believes in me, though he dies, in other words, we will, most of us will face mortal death, go through mortal death, yet shall he live. And then this is the second part. Now, that's the resurrection part. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So not only is he the resurrection, he's also the life. That's, he just played that out for you. He just explained that to you. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. In other words, I believe you're in the Messiah. Somehow you're going to basically help usher in all of this. So she doesn't understand what Jesus just said. She does not. He's, he's saying, it's not, I don't just usher it in. I'm not just one of the key players. I'm not even just the king. I am the resurrection and the life. I, I'm it. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, Mary, this is, she rose quickly and went to Jesus. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village of Bethany, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the passage that we looked at pretty heavily two weeks ago. Go back and listen to that sermon. Just a few notes here. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. Remember, I explained this to you now. The verb there, the verb means he was enraged. Deeply moved is a polite English translation. It's, he is enraged like a warrior about to go to battle against death and hell and the Satan. Okay, that's, that's what that's saying to you. He was enraged. And his spirit was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Only his weeping is not like our weeping because he is the warrior who is going to take on sin, death, 
hell, Satan's manipulation, the whole thing. So it's not right. Death is part of the fall. It is not God's good pleasure. It's not the glory of God. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And they, yeah. Then again, same terminology. Jesus, enraged, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. The wrath of the lamb is revealing to us the lion who will save us. Here is the lion who is our savior, our king. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. If you like the King James, he stinketh. That's the King James, okay? Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That's the issue. That's the salvation. So they took away the stone, and we're not just talking about Lazarus. Jesus is already looking ahead to the cross and to his own resurrection. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. In other words, everything he's been saying, including I am the resurrection and the life, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out. There it is again, Jesus crying out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now what we have here, we need to understand this, is here we are at the key juncture in, John, in the first half of John's gospel. Remember, uh, John's gospel has two books, two divisions. The book of signs, uh, chapters 1 through 12 in the book of glory 13 through 21 and with 11 and 12 we are at the transition point toward the book of glory the book of glory is going to be realized with the jesus's passion week his upper room teaching uh, the cross and the resurrection and his testimony as the risen lord that's the book of glory that is seeing god's glory but here we are in the book of signs there are seven, there are seven for completion. John lays them out for us, seven signs that John highlights in the book of signs. And we have now come to the seventh of the seven book of signs. You hear what I'm saying? This is the juncture to move towards uh, the book of glory. And so what happens is Jesus declares in the fifth of the seven I am sayings, I am the resurrection and the life. I am, just like Charles de Gaulle, when they ask him what's going on with the Fourth Republic, what is it? He says, je suis d'état. I, I am the state, je suis d'état. Yeah, I'm the state, I am the state. Jesus is saying as the Lord of all the universe, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he makes it real with the seventh of the seven signs. And what happens here is he is doing it within two miles of Jerusalem. And he is saying, the Father has ordained, the timing is what you really want. I'm going to save the soul of Lazarus into eternity. It's not about a short-term death we're talking about here. When I raised Lazarus, I just invited the cross, the passion, and the resurrection that leads to God's glory with me. 
the Son of God. I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you will be ushered from this present darkness into the light that lasts forever. That's, what, that's everything that's going on here. So with the seventh of the seven signs in the book of signs, we are now ready for the book of glory. That's what Jesus has just been saying. You're going to see the glory. It's not just about Lazarus. It's a lot bigger than Lazarus. It's about the Son of God and about resurrection and eternal life. So here's the pivot in the storyline. Picking up at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. How can you believe this? So the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council, that's the Sanhedrin, and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Yeah, you better believe he performs many signs. Jesus raised a man four days dead to life again. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Had no idea what he's saying. And, and not only for the nation, but, but also together into one, it's one people, the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him, to put Jesus to death. You want to talk about providential timing, it's right there. There it is. Not only for Lazarus' salvation, but also for yours and mine. The timing of Jesus is always perfect. And it was time. We're just days out of the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. And Jesus will be going to the Passover as the Passover lamb and as the resurrection and the life. I mean, it's great that Lazarus got to live another whatever he did, 10, 20 years. But in the grand scheme of eternity, that's not the issue. Our prayers are sometimes show, so short-sighted. I give thanks that the Father is gracious, right? And so our Lord, our Savior, invites us not only to trust fully in his timing, but also to see his glory and to be born again in the resurrection and the life. Jesus himself. I invite you, and I invite myself today to open our eyes and our hearts to what Jesus will show us about what's going on in our little short-term lives, just like a parent tries to do sometimes with a five-year-old or a 12-year-old, 
and to begin to see the glory that is for all of us who believe in Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. I pray that you believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever.